Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truth Point Church in West Palm Beach. We exist to point people to the truth of the gospel. Like we said uh, earlier, as you come in, if you're joining Truth Point here, we are in week two of Advent, not just us, but uh, churches all over the world are in week two of Advent. And Advent means coming. We're looking at the time Christ is coming, and we spend four weeks looking forward to Christ is coming. And what we're doing here this year is we're looking at what, who's coming? What, is this, what, is, you know, what does Christ mean? We don't really use that word very often except in respect to Jesus. And, or maybe you've heard the word Messiah. What does that mean? And it, the meaning is just anointed one, which kind of means the one who's going to do, the one who's going to take care of all the stuff that needs to get done. Well, but what needs to get done? So last week, we looked at the very beginning of Genesis and saw some ways in which all the way right from the very beginning, even when God created and man hadn't fallen yet, there was already a promise. Something more was coming because there was the possibility of the world falling away and that Christ would already, that, that, uh, that God would already have needed to come and, and make it perfect, make it permanent so there was no chance of a fall. But then, of course, there was a fall and the world got broken and we need the curse to be, to be healed. We need somebody to take care of it. And, and not only that, but we saw right there in the beginning of Genesis that evil isn't just a possibility we could go to, but evil was personified and after us. And we needed somebody to defeat evil, to really make it possible for it to be perfect forever. So the first week we looked at this need for a savior, a healer, somebody to perfect it. But this week we're going to be looking at another title that we, we carry very familiarly fam- <laughs> We carry very easily with Christ. We'll just go that way. Um, Christ is king. And we're going to be looking to start our main text. And it's there in your bulletin is in Isaiah. But we're going to really look in a lot of places because i got to admit, for some, I couldn't figure out why this sermon was giving me a hard time trying to organize it. And I realized it's because I was trying to take what is a story and make it into a series of ideas. And it's, it's a story. What we've got today is a story. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look in a few different places so that we can check in on the different parts of that story. And we're also going to recognize where we fit because we are after the main part of the story Isaiah is telling is done. So let's look at Isaiah 9 as we get ready to start. And here's what I want you to remember as we get ready. Isaiah is telling people in a different part of the story about Christ coming to give them hope. And he's going to talk, if you read in Isaiah, like even our, our, our introduction, he's going to be telling people like us how joyful, boy, we, they'll be so joyful because they've already seen it. And I know that's exactly how you experience it all of the time, everywhere. But in light of the story as we get in it, it should make us full of joy. This is a great text. I'm sure you've seen it. It's read every Christmas. Let's look at Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has, shown, has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word today, uh, as we hear the story of salvation, the story of your love, the story of your faithfulness, um, the story of our flaws and failures, uh, Lord, please use the story of the past to help us today. Lord, it's easy at times to, to forget about the history, to, to ignore the people who went before us, to think that we're different or better, we're not like that. And Lord, I pray that as we go into your word today, you will use it that we can be full of anticipation, thinking from the past forward to your birth, but also, Lord, as people right now waiting for you to return, thinking expectantly of that day where you will come and reign fully and all the evil be put away and you will ensure that forever and ever there is joy for your people in heaven with you. Amen. So as we get ready, here's the thing about a story. For this to be a story that's more than just a story, we got to be in it. And to be in it, I want you to think about if there was ever a time that you wanted something so badly that you wanted it, you really wanted it. You pursued it even though you knew it was bad for you. You knew it was bad for you and you pursued it anyways. A couple of years ago, to illustrate idolatry, which is what that frankly is, is I, I went out and I got a lottery ticket to take to a class. And we were getting ready to do the Ten Commandments. We were starting that off in an ethics class. And I got the lottery ticket because I was going to stand in front of everybody and say, now imagine, and this was, it just happened coincidentally that week, to be the week that the lottery was $900 million, that biggest one that had ever happened. is like almost a billion dollars. I'm like, even after taxes, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I don't buy many lottery tickets because of math. But I did buy a lottery ticket that week to use as an example because this is what I did. And I want you to think it through this way. And maybe it won't be money, but maybe there'll be something else like this. Imagine you had that lottery ticket, right? You had that lottery ticket and God said to you, if you keep it, it'll win, but you'll wish it hadn't. And that's all he said. If you keep it, it'll win, but you'll wish it hadn't. Now, here's my question. Would you immediately just ball that thing up and throw it in the trash can? Would you immediately light it on fire and walk away? Well, God said, I wish I wouldn't. So I, I, I'll, the, I don't think you would, and I'll tell you what. I learned it because I walked into my own trap because I had a miserable week. That lottery ticket that I bought for class to stand up there and use as an example of idolatry sat in my pocket for five days telling me, you're an idolater, you're an idolater, you're an idolater, because I wanted that thing to win. Now, of course, I'd still be doing things like this if it had won. I just would have nicer shoes. It's not that it would have changed me. And I made those deals with God, right? Like, this is a lot of money. You know how much good I could do? I mean, even after I gave $400 million to the government, I'd still have like $500 million, which is like hundreds of millions for your ministries and stuff. At least as much as I spend on boats. 
on ministries. But it was amazing to me to find out because I know, ultimately, I know, I know that if you go look at the history of lottery winners, almost without fail, it's a disaster for them. Almost without fail, it ruins their lives. Almost without fail, they end up in poverty. But I would be different. And this would make me whole. And I'll tell you that if I had that $900 million lottery ticket and God said to me, you can keep it and it'll win, but you'll wish it hadn't, I don't know what I would do. I would love to say from the stage behind the podium, I would light it on fire right then and say, woohoo, God, I'm with you. I believe you, I trust you, but I don't know that I would. Well, it may not be money. You may be smart enough and wise enough and thoughtful enough and careful enough that that one you would just get rid of. But I bet all of us have got something we want so much that we would do it even in the face of God saying, you don't want that. And actually, that's how our story, believe it or not, of getting a king starts. It's amazing when you think about Christ as king and how happy we are to hear how the story begins. So the story begins, we're going to go back to 1 Samuel. And this is long, and I kept trying to figure out ways to cut it. And in the end, it was like, we just need to read all of this. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel 8. And just to get, just to get you ready, so this is the end of the time of Judges. And Samuel is the last judge. Israel didn't have kings. They had the law, the Mosaic law. And they had judges who operated to make sure people were following the law. And they provided leadership. They did other things. Um, Samuel was also a priest. He was also a prophet. But he was a judge. And so Samuel has gotten old. He's getting to the end of his life. And he's anointed his sons to be the next judges of Israel. And his sons apparently are both disasters. And the people have come and they've said, well, we'll get there. But the people have come to Samuel to talk to him. So let's start right here. 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. I mean, thanks. Let's just start off well. You're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. So now here's the part. Here's God saying, all right, you want a king? Here's how it's going to go. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king with him. So he said, yeah, God said you can have one, but it's, not, but, you know, it's only because you guys are ungrateful idolaters and have rejected me. Samuel told him all the words of the Lord. And so at 11, he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. 
He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now here in 19, here come the people. They've been wellly warned and they listened well. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. And so you'll recall that Saul then gets called as a king, but listen to this. I mean, God gave him the full list. Like, they said, you want a king, and God said, it's only because you're rejecting me as king. And they said, no, we want a king. And God said to Samuel, okay, by the way, Samuel, it's not about you. They're just treating you like me because you're representing me. It's not about you. Don't, don't be offended. But go tell him. The king's going to take all your stuff. He's going to take your children. He's going to take your fields. He's going to put you to work for me. He's going to create a thing for himself. This is how we get a king. This is how we got a king. Is Israel saying, I want to be like all the other nations. I mean, it's right there, that whining. It's like a two-year-old standing in front of you, maybe a third grader. But all my friends have a brand new iPhone. And this was the whole nation of Israel. After God had done all of this, they've been placed in the Holy Land. They have his recent history coming out. And they got a king by being children and babies and whiners. That's how they got a king. I mean, that's really... It's, it's crazy to think about that. And God warned them of what was going to happen. And actually, the next place we're going to go in Micah, who lives around the same time as Isaiah, is in the middle of the people getting what they wanted. The text we read from Isaiah, that is when all of the bad stuff is really coming to fulfillment. So just as you remember the story, Samuel goes out and he brings in Saul but then Saul pretty quickly seems to start off as a pretty decent guy, makes a couple of mistakes that at one level are the kinds of sins you and I would make where we, we kind of run out ahead of God, but he's told, like, you're going to lose the throne because of that. But then over time, Samuel just becomes, or excuse me, Saul becomes increasingly, increasingly defiant. It sounds like he falls into depressions. He becomes violent. And he's finally deposed, and David goes to the throne. And we know David's name, because that's one of the big high point names. And God makes a covenant with David. How does a covenant work, right? Covenants are those unbreakable contracts. Covenants never end. And God says, I will make a king on your throne who will reign forever. Your throne will never end. The people of Israel really took covenant seriously, so they really thought it was going to last forever no matter how we do. But covenant has this interesting thing because covenant doesn't end until death, but covenant always comes with promises, blessings, and also curses. So you can't, like, we have contracts. When you get out of a contract, you can have a bunch of penalties at the end. If you break the contract, you've got to pay things off. If you don't do it right, you get sued, but eventually the covenant or the contract dies. Covenants never die. Covenants live forever. And so as long as God lived, the covenant lived. But Israel in covenant, they had blessings and curses promised them. If the king is good and the people are behaving, then you will get covenant blessings. 
But if you fail and if you fall apart and if you run away and you're idolaters, then you fall into covenant curses. And it's what you've chosen. You don't get to get out of it. It's not like you'll get cursed for 10 years and then you're out of it. As long as you're alive, you're either in blessings or curses. So it's not like a contract. It never ends until the person dies. And God not dying means it continues forever. Well, so what does Israel do? You know this part of the story, I'm sure, from having been here. We've talked about it before. They have these occasional good kings, but almost immediately they fall apart. Solomon, gifted to be wise and just, goes against the Lord and enters into this huge number of political marriages. He gets led off into idolatry. On his death, the kingdom of Israel splits and then you have this pattern of evil king after evil king after evil king interspersed with a few people who follow the Lord. And when Isaiah is writing, things are a disaster. If you go read the book of Isaiah, it's really interesting because we pull out these beautiful texts. But for the most part, in context, it's horrifying to read. Because Isaiah is a prophet who's been placed in the kingdom of Israel when, when already things are starting to fall apart, and he's been told by God, go let everybody know. There's not much time left. And the outside destroyers are going to come, and they're going to take you out completely. And that was unimaginable to them, but that was Isaiah's task, let everybody know. And if we go look in, in Micah, who was doing a similar thing, Micah was a prophet speaking to the people when their sin had grown so great that God was saying to them, that's it. I will fulfill the covenant curses and the kingdom will be shut down and destroyed for a time. And there'll be a remnant that returns and I'll establish my kingdom. But listen to these words from Micah about how things were in Israel at the time Isaiah is writing. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little, this is Micah 5, 2 through 5, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Oh, ah, wrong one. Micah 3. Boy, I was like, that really, that's not the context that I remember. <laughs> Good thing about stories when you read the ending before the middle. Micah 3, 9 through 12. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads, its leaders, give judgment for a bride. Its priests teach for money. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. See, what the people were doing is they were, they were taking God and they were basically taking him for granted. They were doing whatever they wanted. The leaders would lead for bribes. The priest, you know, basically it, it would be kind of like, hey, Tim, we'd like you to come pastor us for a while. And here's what you, we want you to tell us. Tell us everything is great and we're wonderful. And I'm like, well, I'll charge a little extra for that. And you guys are like, yeah, sure. 
just make sure we're happy when we leave. Make sure you only tell us the good news. And I'm like, yeah. So the priests, the prophets, the prophets were saying, oh, Israel, God loves you. God promised you that it'll be fine. Oh, Assyria is coming. Don't worry about it. Keep living like you're doing. Keep offering to idols up on the hills. It'll be great. God would never destroy you. You're his people. And you have a few true prophets that are rolling around and they're saying to everybody, we're in covenant. Covenant has curses and blessings and it's over. And Isaiah overall, if you read it, it is brutal. Isaiah is looking at people and saying, turn back to the Lord. Turn back to him. You guys were running away. This is the God who carried us out of Egypt. This is the God who established in the promise, established in the promised land. This is the God who has promised that he'll be faithful. Come turn back to him. And Isaiah was even told in the beginning of his ministry, but nobody's going to listen. And they didn't. And about a hundred years later, after the, after the time of Isaiah, it was all finished. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, they were destroyed, and there was no king. There was no king anymore. This king that they wanted, because they wanted him, because all the other nations had him, and this king that they got and that did like God told them he would do, it was gone. It was put away. And it seemed like hope was lost. But there was a remnant, a few people, a few people who had gotten taken out of Israel and taken away into captivity, a few people who stayed strong, who remembered the Lord. And God promised that he was going to make something of them. And that's what we hear in Isaiah. And that's what we hear in Micah. And here's the right time for our Micah text. The same guy who just said, because of all of you, it's going to be destroyed. Hear these hints of Christ coming in the midst of this story because covenant is permanent and God promised. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And Isaiah, at the same time, as we've heard, for unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We got a king. Remember, God's people, those are our people. We got a king because we were petulant children. And in covenant and relationship with God, he sustained a kingdom through their disobedience. But even when they were punished, he stayed faithful and he stayed firm in his promises. And in the end, he said, I'm going to give you a king. I promised a king but I'm going to give you the only kind of king that you can take. Here's hundreds of years of examples. Every human king, no matter how well set up, no matter how faithful, 
is going to fail you, and you will fail with him. I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to give you the kind of king that will never fail, who will live forever, who will be permanently king, perfectly king, and faithfully king. You want a king? I gave you the kind you wanted. I let you have it. God doesn't always do that, but when he does, it's scary. I let you have it. Here's what that looked like. Now, I will give you the king who is permanent. And that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to a king who's not like all those old kings. We don't like kings as much as they used to. I don't think we'd fight for a king. But that kind of king I can get behind. Now, some of you may be saying, where is that right now? Right now, Christ has already come, and yet we can look forward like Isaiah looked forward, knowing that Christ, who reigns right now, the Bible tells us, who is who is essentially living, letting, letting sin continue for a time so that more can be called into the kingdom, will come back. And when he returns, that will be it forever. King is coming. He will rule. He will rule perfectly, justly, lovingly. And he will take people like you and me living in his kingdom, and he will make us perfect forever with him. And see, here's the reason we need to get into that story. Because if you're like me and a simple lottery ticket can reveal, man, I don't know that I really do trust that God is God. Somehow money, which is so obviously foolish, becomes for me another God. I don't really believe it could go bad for me. I'm broken. I'm like the Israelites. Maybe like the Israelites. You've got those things where you went and sought what you knew was wrong for you. And you lived for a time, maybe this time, maybe still, you lived for a time what you, for what you knew was false. You ran away, you disappeared, you spit in God's face. He said it to them, you're rejecting me. And they said, that's right, we want a king. And you know... There are consequences for that life for a time, and all of us in here will know that our sin has harmed us and harmed those around us. But the story for us, when we're in the story, is not that the Hebrews were way worse than us, but God made room for us because they were so bad. It's that we're just like them. And God, God's promises are carried through faithfully even when we run away, even when we reject him, not just accidentally, not just thoughtlessly, not just foolishly, but on purpose knowing him. We look him in the face and we say, no, I don't want that. And what this story does to you and me is it says, listen, God knows your sin. He knows your brokenness. He knows the way in your heart you've run away. And it's bad when you do. But he is faithful. And just like his people running away for hundreds of years, you running away in your life is not enough to separate you from his promises. His promise, his covenant once made is permanent. And what is that promise? The promise is this. That Jesus that they were looking forward to, that Jesus who died and was resurrected, he promises that in his death, if you just say, God, help me, Forgive me. Make me yours. That 
that establishes you into the covenant when that is a sincere word of repentance and he takes that sin away. And now from there, your life is his and in covenant with him, he will not fail you even though you will fail him. And that's good news because it ends in a permanent promise of coming into that kingdom with a son who was sent beyond all human strength. There was no king big enough to heal Israel's wounds. And there's no promise, no fight, no work, no effort big enough to heal your wounds. But just as Christ came as king for Israel, he came as king for you. And Christ is the very God whose covenants live forever. Until he dies, his promise is sure. So be reassured. And if you don't know this king, no, you can come into the kingdom. The invitation is to everyone. These were his people. They rejected him. They spit in his face, and he wanted them, and he made things right for them. No matter what you have done, Christ is for you. He will forgive you, and he will perfect you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of your redemption. Lord, I wish my story didn't have failures in it. I'm glad your story does so that I can see them and know that I'm not alone. Lord, all of us here have failed. All of us here continue to fail. Maybe some of us right now are walking in the very footsteps of the Israelites, pursuing what was more valuable to us than you. Lord, open our eyes to it. Show it to us. Help us to walk away because it does have consequences. But Lord, above that, remind us that in the end, you will be faithful even when we are not. That your promises are sure. And that in repentance, you promise to us that all will be made right. And that one day you will return and reign here on earth, remade. And evil and sin and death and fear and tears will be no more. Lord, as we look forward to Christmas, remind us of what it means to be king and how great, how great a demonstration of your love and faithfulness it is that you came as king for broken people like us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truthpoint Church. We encourage you to distribute this to as many people as you'd like, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about our ministry or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at www.truthpoint.org.